We'll be reading this morning in Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 42. Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes." A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. This is the word of the Lord. Between the days of September 22nd and September 27th this very year, In northwestern Tanzania, arsonists used gasoline to burn seven churches in an attack on Christians. In between those two dates, on September the 23rd, another event happened that we found out about on October 7th as the self-proclaimed Islamic State, as you know in the news, as ISIS released a video of three Assyrian Christians wearing orange jumpsuits 
who on the video, the first scene is the three Christians being shot in the back of the head. It immediately goes to another scene with three other Christian men standing just above those, or excuse me, kneeling just above those that have just been shot. And one by one, at gunpoint, those three Assyrian Christians are forced to say, I am Nazrani, which you would know as I am Nazarene, a derogatory name for Christians used by Muslims to say that they are following the Nazarene. It's also a mark that you've become aware of if you're on Facebook or Twitter or maybe somewhere else on the internet, the Arabic N that has been used to mark homes and businesses in northern Iraq from Christians who will not renounce their faith. Many of you maybe even changed your picture on your Facebook to that Arabic letter to say, I too follow the Nazarene. It's not only happening overseas, friends, it's happening right here in our own nation on June the 17th of this year in Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. A shooter came into the Bible study as a friend to sit and be a part of a Bible study and then opened fire and killed nine Christians who had met for that Bible study in that church. It's not only around our nation, it's right here. Just this week, I've been made aware that in the past month, there were two reported threats and suspicious events that happening in churches right here in Franklin County one of which included a pastor friend of mine who answered the phone at his church to hear someone on the other end of the line say it's time for all Christians to die. So whether it's on a Libyan beach or in rural North Carolina, followers of Christ are seeing more and more danger in following our King. More persecution that's coming. Our study in Matthew's Gospel has brought us to Jesus' teaching on how we, those whom He has summoned, are sent to carry out the mission of our Savior and how that mission brings with it both cost and blessings. So this morning as we jump back into this text, I want to bring before us those who are sent, those who are summoned by the Savior are sent by the Savior and there is cost to living for this King in this world. And so we saw Jesus' mission last week as we ended chapter 9, went into the beginnings of chapter 10, his mission for those who would follow him to enter their world, get into where people are, meet them at the point of their need, and then bring them the good news of Jesus Christ, of the kingdom that is to come, the kingdom that is forever and ever. We are to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, teaching and healing. And so when the Savior then calls attention in the end of chapter 9 to the harvest field and the, the plentiful harvest that is there, He instructs us as, as His disciples in two ways. First, to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers. So I hope that when we left last week, you were challenged as I was to Spend time this week praying, asking God, would you send laborers into the harvest? But he didn't stop there. He started with our prayer life, but then he says, go. Three times in the beginning of chapter 10, as Jesus calls, summons his disciples to him, he says to them, go. And so the ones that the Savior summons, he also sends. 
And so before we even jump back into this text and look at Jesus' instructions for those whom He's sending, let me say to you this morning, this text will not make sense to you unless you begin to see your life as a missionary, as one who has been summoned by the Savior. We said last week, does your life belong to you or does it belong to the King? And if it belongs to the King, the one who has summoned you is sending you, He is using you as an ambassador for His kingdom because His purpose is to spread His kingdom. It will come and the invitation is open at this moment for those to repent and believe and come into the kingdom. And He has redeemed you and me, not just so that we could be redeemed and be summoned and sit here and wait on some coming of the Lord and just rest until then. He has sent us to be busy about His business of making disciples until He comes. And if you don't see your life as a missionary, then what we're going to look at this morning should not, will not make sense to you. It will not be a reality in your life. And so let me say this morning, I think the call that you must hear before you really get this text is that you are a missionary of the king. Now, we're praying that God would send some to the nations. Yes, we're praying that you would feel a call of God to surrender everything and leave and go to Baltimore or go to uh, Lamino Town or go to Sparta, Turkey or go to the nations. But the fact of the matter is, if you're not going to your neighbor as a missionary, you will never understand the call to go to the nations as a missionary. So this morning, let me challenge you. Would you, as we walk through this text... Answer the question first, do I belong to the king or do I belong to me? And if I belong to the king, this will be the reality of our lives as we see ourselves as missionaries for the king in your job. He's called you to be in your neighborhood, in your family, in your place of work, in the recreation that you're participating in. We are missionaries and representatives of our king right here and make no mistake. Bun needs missionaries. So, with that said, let's look at what Jesus instructs his disciples to do, beginning down in verse 8, after he has called them to this method of ministry, enter their world, meet them at the point of their need, and then bring them Christ and his answers, preach and teach and heal in the name of the king. He begins some instructions to them. First in verse 8, we, we saw it last week. He says, trust God to provide as you go, and he will do so. And then beginning in verses 11 through 15, he says, carefully choose whom you identify yourself with as you go. And now we pick up this morning in verse 16 with the next instruction and we'll go through the end of the chapter this morning looking at four additional instructions of our Lord as we go, as you live as a missionary, here is the the Savior, the King's instruction to you as you live this life representing the King. So this morning, first, beginning in verse 16, anticipate the cost of living for the king. Anticipate the cost. Look at verse 16. He gives a description of service for the king. It is incredible what he says. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. 
I don't know if you and I just read over that because we're so used to seeing the illustration of sheep and we've actually just seen it in this passage. But Jesus is painting a picture for you in your mind that is not very encouraging for those of us who will say, Lord, I belong to you. He's saying, great, I'm sending you out and you are going to be like sheep in the midst of wolves. If you would imagine for me the way that we described sheep last week as those helpless animals, they have no defense. And so think about throwing them in to the midst middle of a pack of ravenous wolves who are viciously ready to tear them apart. And Jesus says, I'm sending you out like that. Anticipate the cost of being an ambassador for our king. Because the cost is great. It is not encouraging here, but Jesus is going to give us some encouraging words after he says anticipate the cost. There will be encouragement here because you are living for the king, but he says this is going to be a dangerous calling for you. There will be cost involved. And so he then goes on to say after he describes it in this way of these vicious predators pulling apart, attacking these sheep, he says, so, the end of verse 16, be wise as serpent, innocent as doves. J.C. Ryle in his uh, commentary here says, Jesus' statement to be wise as serpents is one of the hardest statements of Jesus to actually interpret. We have all kinds of images of serpents. And so this morning, I just want to bring out what I think would be helpful for us to understand what Jesus is going to say. And then in verse 17 and following, he's going to help us to understand what it means. But what does it mean to be wise as serpents? Dr. Quarles is sitting in here with us, and I've uh, benefited from him to help us understand this at least two ways. He reminds us of two things about serpents. First, Matthew has already used this term when he talks about the Pharisees and uh, calls them a brood of vipers. And, he, and Jesus asks, who warned you to flee the coming judgment? And so what Jesus is saying through this idea, you are, you are a brood of vipers, And so what do vipers do? What do serpents do? They flee. Now, some of you know this. About a year ago in November, Jenny and I had a huge pile of brush on our land, and we were going to burn it. And I was even talking to some of you about burning it. And multiple people would have told me when we were getting ready to light that, when you light it, watch out for the snakes. Because snakes love to hide in brush piles. They love to hide in these big brush piles. And so some of you even knew snakes, when they see this fire, when they sense the smoke, they're going to come out. And so anytime I light a brush fire now, I watch for them. We lit one over the summer, and I told Caleb, I said, let's back up a little bit. If there are snakes in here, they're coming out when we light this thing. And so that's exactly what snakes do. They sense danger, and they flee. And Jesus is saying here, be wise as serpents. So not only has Matthew used the term that way, the natural reaction of a serpent to danger is to flee. And so what Jesus is going to say here to us, I believe, is that you are as sheep among wolves, but don't go seeking after the danger. Don't seek out martyrdom. As a matter of fact, if it's possible for you, then flee. And he'll tell us that again in this chapter. He's already told us. When the danger is there, when and if you can, then flee, because there will be enough danger. There will be enough cost. You don't have to go seeking it out. And then he says, be innocent as doves. This is a little more simple. Doves representing this purity here. Jesus is saying to you, you are going to be in danger. There will be persecution and cost for you, but don't let that cost be because of your immorality. Live pure. Don't give people a reason by your own lifestyle to persecute you. 
And so now he's going to describe these costs and this idea of sheep in the midst of wolves and being wise as serpent, innocent as doves. Let's walk through the rest of this first part of the text and look at what he says. First, the cost. In verses 17 through 21, he says, you'll be betrayed, arrested, and even killed. He says in verse 17, be aware of men. They're going to deliver you over and they're going to flog you in the synagogues. You will be arrested. This is where uh, the courts were held in the synagogues there. You'll be flogged there. You'll be beaten. You'll be uh, betrayed by people to arrest you and bring you in there. So I think he goes on, and you're going to see this in just a moment, by strangers, by friends, and even by your family. Look at what he says when he gets to the idea of your family. Verse 21, brother will deliver brother over to death. The father His child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Can you imagine fathers handing your children over to be killed, to be arrested and then killed because they follow Christ? And yet, listen, this is happening today in our world. You don't have to go very far in our world to find that when people come to Christ, it is a danger in their own families. So they're disowned and they're even killed for following after Christ. So you'll be betrayed, arrested, even killed. Secondly, in verse 22, you're going to be hated by all. He says, this is the reality. Look at what he says. Verse 22, and you will be hated by all. Why? For my name's sake. Make sure it's not for your own immorality. For my name's sake, you will be hated by all. Verse 23, you'll be persecuted. You're going to be persecuted. They persecute you in one town, then flee to the next. Because you're not going to have enough time to get through all the towns anyway. So persecution will come. And then finally in verse 25, you'll be maligned. He says, it's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. If they called the master of the house Beelzebub and they had said, Jesus is casting out demons by a demon. How much more are they going to malign you? You're going to be maligned. This is the cost. Church, anticipate the cost of following after Christ. It is not going to be an easy road. Jesus has never said that. And I think that you and I need to get in our heads. In our day, we have this idea that we come to Christ and everything's okay. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says you come to Christ. He owns your life. He is the king and it's going to cost you something. You'll be betrayed and even killed. You'll be hated. You'll be persecuted. You'll be maligned. But even in this text, there are blessings that we find. Let me just highlight four of them for you in verse 16. First, we know that we are being sent by the king. Look at verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out. It's okay for you to go in the midst of sheep, or excuse me, in the midst of wolves as sheep. Why? Because the king has sent me here. You see, I belong to the king, and where the king sends me, I am confident that I am where I need to be. So when the king sends me as a sheep in the midst of wolves, I don't need to worry that's a blessing for us to look at verses 19 and 20 what he says is the spirit of the father will be in you he says when they deliver you over you're going to be a testimony of the gospel don't worry about what you're going to say because the spirit of the father is going to be in you and he will tell you what to say in that hour that doesn't mean when you're teaching uh, when you're living and studying to share the gospel that you should never study or never prepare yourself it means that when you're arrested and taken before Uh, uh, the courts and when persecution is coming the spirit of God will help you to know how to testify to the gospel of our great king so the spirit of the father is in you as you go it's a blessing be hopeful 
Thirdly, in verse 22, there is hope for those who endure. I love this statement. He says in the end of verse 22, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is just after he's saying children are going to rise up and have their parents killed. Parents are going to have their children killed. And he says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. There is a hope of salvation. Even if you die on this earth, there is hope to come. And we'll see that again in a moment. Fourthly, there's a blessing in this text uh, in verse 25. You can be like the king. Look at verse 25. And it is enough. Look at it. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. Let me ask you this. Is it enough for you to be like Jesus? That's what he says. What a blessing for Jesus to say, it's enough for you to be like me. Go be an ambassador for the king. So first, anticipate the cost of following him. Secondly, trust the king. Trust the king. I love verse 26. And all this passage is probably my favorite verse. So, he says, here are the costs. Here are the blessings there in the first part. And he says, so, have no fear of them. I've mentioned this before from this very pulpit. There are people that love to wear no fear shirts, no fear hats, no fear everything. And the reason I believe most people are wearing that is they're full of fear. And they want to have no fear. Christians more than anybody else, can look at our world as ambassadors of the king, as not belonging to yourself, and live in this world and have no fear. Jesus says, so have no fear of them. Why? Why should we trust the king so much that we'll have no fear of them? He gives us some reasons. There first in verse 26, because all things will eventually be revealed by the king. Look what he says, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Your king knows everything. There is nothing that's going to happen to you in secret that the world will not eventually see because God is going to bring judgment. He will reveal all things. There is nothing that is happening in secret that will not be known. The Lord knows. So all things will eventually be revealed by the king. Secondly, verse 27 You have been given the commission by the king. We've already mentioned this. But here's the commission of the king. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. God has told you what to do. Have no fear of them. Obey the Lord. What I've told you in the dark, what you have heard from me, Jesus says, tell to others. He's going to say to them, make disciples. As you go, make disciples, baptizing, teaching. And so he says, what you've heard from me, say it. Don't have any fear of the world because the king has told you what to do. Just obey the king. Thirdly, verse 28. You're going to love this one. The worst thing they can do for you is kill you. That's what he says. Look at it. Do not fear those who can kill the, bo- who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus says, as you go out, have no fear but trust the king because the worst they can do to you is kill you. And what does that do? For a believer, I'm before the presence of my Lord. You're going to send me to my king, and I'll be with him. So I can risk everything. I can give everything for the king and take his mission and his message to the world because the worst that this world can do to me is kill this body. Listen, 
if you would say, if that rings in your heart this morning, and I think it does for believers, that we gather together and we say, Amen, the only thing the world could ever do to us is kill the body. It's hard when you're actually facing that death. But we sit in here and we say that, and I wonder how we would do when we're actually facing it. Because in the midst of someone who would just malign us or look bad on us or maybe even talk about us, we keep our mouth shut in our jobs, in our communities, in our recreation, our relationships, and our families. And we say, Lord, yes, the only thing the world could do for it is to kill us. Well, they silence us just by their threats of talking about us. But if you know the king and will trust him, know this, there's nothing the world can do to your soul. They cannot touch your soul. It belongs to Jesus. They can kill this body, and you would not want this body to last forever anyway. So give your life to Christ, and if they kill your body, you're with your king forever and ever. Have no fear of them. Trust the king. Fourthly, your king is sovereign, and he cares for you. Look at verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Sparrows don't have much meat on them. They were sold for a penny as a copper coin in their day. And there were two of them that you could get for a penny here. You can imagine that this is for the poor. They were still sold because the poor needed to eat. And while there was not much meat on them, the poor still needed the sparrows. And Jesus says, for you, sparrows are not worth anything. They don't have much meat on them, so you don't have much worth on them. But, look at the rest of verse 29, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Your Father is sovereign over something that you don't even value as a community. Sparrows, they're, uh, we would say in our world, a dime a dozen. Right? So you get two for a penny here. And uh, Jesus says, your Father knows when every one of them falls. But not only that, He knows every hair upon your head. He has numbered them, He says. So your Father is sovereign. He knows everything about you. And then look at verse 31. Fear not, therefore... So, trust the king, don't fear them. Why? You are of more value than many sparrows. Not just two, but many sparrows. You have more value to your father than the ones that he knows about. He knows when they fall. He knows every hair on your head. And you have more value than any of that. Trust the king. He is sovereign and he cares for you. And then in verses 32 and 33, trust the king because there are consequences to our lives. Again, he says, so, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I'll acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I'll also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Trust the king because everything will eventually be revealed by the king. Trust the king because you've been given a commission by the king. Trust the king because the worst that anyone else can do for you is to kill your body. He holds your soul. Trust the king because he's sovereign and he cares for you. Trust the king because there are consequences to our lives. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we acknowledge him, he will acknowledge us. Which leads us to verse 34. The next instruction not only anticipate the cost, trust the king. Thirdly, this morning, expect the consequences. Expect the consequences. Church, we've said this before. The gospel in and of itself is offensive. You don't need to, to add your offense to the gospel. It is offensive in itself. Verse 34 is a hard passage, and you need to understand it within the context of what Jesus is saying here. He says, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. 
I have come, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. You see, while this is hard for us to understand, it really is this understanding that will get us what he's saying and what is the, the revolution that's happening with Jesus' arrival on our earth. At any time, you can look at history and know that if anyone would declare a brand new kingdom and a brand new king, it is controversial. When those who came into our nation declared their independence from Britain and a nation that is brand new and not under the king that is currently reigning and we're going to have our own government, it caused a war. And ours is not the only war that the declaration of a new kingdom has caused throughout history. Anytime that you're in a nation and you say we're going to be our own nation and we're going to have our own king and there is a new king, there is war. Here Jesus has shown up on the scene and he says, I'm the anointed one of God. I am the king sent by God. I will be king forever and there is war. And so Jesus says my coming has not been to bring peace to the earth. Because there will be enemies of this great king. There will be division declared because of this new kingdom. People like things the way they are. They like being their own king. They don't want to submit to this new king. And so the reality here is that when Jesus has come and he has declared this new kingdom, there will be those that will follow after him and there will be those that will reject him. And when they reject him, they reject you all the way to your family. That's what he says, verse 35, For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. The person's enemies will be those of his own household. Church, you don't have to look very far to know that people across our world right now coming to Christ set themselves against their own families. They risk everything to follow Christ. It doesn't bring peace for them. There are consequences for following after our Savior. The gospel in itself is offensive and it divides And what you and I need to do is say, away with this idea that you can follow Christ and stay in the life that you are. You see, this is hard. It's hard to give everything to follow the king. Will you do it if it costs you your family relationships, those who are closest to you? Will you surrender everything to follow after the king? I have a statement in my classes that I often say to my students, if something looks like a duck and waddles like a duck and flies like a duck and quacks like a duck, pretty sure it's a duck. I'm pretty sure that our churches and Christianity and our culture has tried to look so much like the culture that we've not separated ourselves to, to be willing to lose everything in order to follow after Christ. And so we have tried to make Christianity look like the culture in this nation. And so we look like a duck and we walk like a duck and we fly like a duck. And at some point you say, are we not ducks? Are we only nominal Christians and not true followers of Christ? And so he's going to say in the next three verses, he's going to give you three illustrations of how it is really, really hard to understand the truth of the gospel and what it's going to cost you. In verse 37, he says, your love for God compared to your love for the father, or excuse me, for your family is a good measure of whether you're a disciple. Look at verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You're telling me? 
Jesus, that if I love you more than I love Caleb and Sarah and Lydia and Anna, then I'm not worthy of you. Yes, that's what he just said. Am I willing to love Jesus more than anything that I know of? There is no greater love that I could conceive than that of a child. And yet my love for Jesus and my commitment to him and my surrender of everything to him is greater than that. And I must have a love for him that you'll say later in comparison to my love for my family will look like hate compared to my love for him. The gospel. Do you love him that way? Verse 38, he'll say, do you love him enough to die? Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Church, we listen to the word cross and we have this wonderful religious symbol and it is such for us. It represents so much to us. But no, Jesus' followers would not have this wonderful religious symbol when Jesus said, take up your cross. They didn't have the history that you and I have. They were not on this side of the cross that they knew Jesus was paying for their sin on the cross. They were on the other side of the cross when it was a symbol of those who were thieves and criminals that would die. And what Jesus is saying is if you are not willing to take up your cross and follow me and I'm going there in just a few chapters we're going to see him walk down the way to Calvary, to Golgotha and be crucified. And he says if you will not do that, if you will not follow me to the point of taking up your cross of dying for me then you're not worthy of me that is the hard truth of the gospel and it would separate us from the culture around us expect the consequences that when you and I actually follow after Christ that way we will not look like the world and the world will not like it including our families finally in verse 39 he says if you will not lose your life for my sake you'll never have life Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's the upside down nature of the gospel, isn't it? I'm afraid I'm probably talking to some of you today that spend your entire life grasping at what you believe is real life. Material goods, pleasure, comfort, fame, position, popularity, whatever it may be. You're just grasping at every next big thing, trying to find your life. And Jesus says the only way you're ever going to find it is to take your hands off and lose it. For my sake. Then you'll have true life. But you'll never know it until you lose it. Pray that our church would know the gospel and expect these hard consequences. Because when you are willing to lose your life for Christ, people are going to look at you and say, you're a fool. What are you doing? You could have so much more. You could have all this world offers. You could do this. You could be this. You could go this. You could... And we'll say, I'm going to lose my life for my Savior because I'm not living for me. I've been summoned by the Savior and I've been sent by Him. I no longer belong to me. I belong to Him. Anticipate the cost, trust the king, expect the consequences. And finally this morning, verses 40 through 42, remember the goal. Look at verse 40. Whoever receives you, receives me. Whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. You see, the goal for a believer is to represent the king. We are ambassadors of the king and the king wants to expand his kingdom and he's told us to make disciples and so we go in the name of the king, with the king's methods, 
with the king's message. And this passage says some are going to hate you. Some are going to persecute you. Some are going to malign you and even kill you. And those may very well be your own family members. But verse 40 says some will receive you. And when they receive you, they're receiving me. And when they receive me, they're receiving my Father who sent me. You see, they will, there will be a reward for those who receive Jesus and you and I as ambassadors of the king this is what we're called to do and when we go some will receive God because they receive us now be careful this is where we don't want to just look like the world three times in verses 41 and 42 he says when they receive you because you follow me look at verse 41 they receive a prophet because he is a prophet And then they receive a righteous person because he is a righteous person. Verse 42, when they give a cup of water to a little one because he is a disciple. Don't just go out wanting to be received and look like the world and be like everybody else. You're a representative, an ambassador of the king. You are to use the methods of the king, have the message of the king. And when they receive you because you are representing the king, they are receiving the king. Remember the goal to make disciples. Some will receive. In 1993... It's a privilege to go on my first international mission trip with Rick Amato to Moscow, Russia. In that trip, we had one goal, and that was to give out Bibles. And that week and some days that we were there, we gave out over 70,000 Bibles in the Russian language. Still, to this day, have some of the phrases that we would use to greet the Russian people just burned into my mind. I'll wake up sometimes saying them. We were in Red Square, all around Red Square where the Kremlin, St. Basil's is. We were on the other side of the Kremlin. We went to some other places in Moscow to give out Bibles. And every morning when we would get up and leave our hotel, there were two soldiers that followed us. I found out later they were in the KGB and they were assigned to follow these visitors from the United States of America. And so they followed us the entire time. We noticed two soldiers that were there multiple days and they were following us and at one of our locations where we would just give out Bibles and uh, when we gave out Bibles we would preach for maybe 10 or 12 minutes with a translator and just share the gospel and invite them to come and take a Bible for free. And so as we did that on one of these times that we were just handing out Bibles, just tearing cases of Bibles handing them out to the Russian people that would come and take them, one of these soldiers got a copy of the Bible. Someone had offered it to him, and he actually took it. And while we were wrapping everything up that day and getting ready to go to another location, we all just kind of looked over, and this Russian KGB agent was reading the Bible. Someone tried to address him, but as soon as they did, he put it up and wouldn't read it again. But we began to pray for that particular man. Was he the one who was assigned to follow us as we were in um, this communist country at that time? Was he going to be receptive to the gospel? We prayed that he was. Never been back to Russia. I pray and think about that man even to this day. Churches, you and I represent the king. There will be those who will persecute and hate and talk about you and malign you and maybe even kill you. 
But we go because our king has a harvest. And he said, I need laborers in the harvest. Will you anticipate the cost? Will you trust the king? Will you expect the consequences and will you remember the goal and go into the harvest of our king?